Okay, so we, yeah, just um, we're going to do our prayer out of the book. For those who don't have a book, there are new there are books up over yonder there. Remember, we start on page 15 in the preface. We're doing a prayer for hearing God's word. Because we, as we learned last week, we need new ears to hear God's word. So, unfortunately, you know, this is one of those things where who did I just talked to somebody about this? Oh, I talked to my son. Uh, okay, so we I have these these glasses I wear with children called Faith uh, Jesus goggles, and these are goggles that work according to Jesus's word. So you see everything based on Jesus's word. Okay, you know because a lot of us when we see things we just use our natural eyes. And I will use them often for instructions on the Lord's Supper. It looks like a cracker. But when Jesus consecrates it, what is it? It's the body of Christ, but it still looks like a cracker. And, but the one, the main, so, you know, obviously the bread turns the body, wine, blood. But then the third part of the Lord's Supper is you have a sinner who's now forgiven. Forgiven sinner. And that usually hits the parents more than the other two, where now with Jesus' goggles, you see someone who's forgiven, not just a sinner. And I have these prosthetic ears, but it's not prosthetic ears. They're like, you know, like uh, costume ears that are about, they're, I mean, they're like huge. I look like Alfred E. Newman. Some of the old-timers know who that is, okay? <laughs> you, yeah, I outed you. You shouldn't know that. That's, that's not good. That's, <laughs> okay. And those are my, my uh, Jesus ears. And those always work according, not to what we hear, but according to Jesus' word. And that's always helpful because I, I hurt my hearing a, a few years back, planing some wood. And, and so... I just know that my ears work perfectly when Jesus, you know, changes them. <laughs> so even though I might not hear physically, I hear with my, my faith. And, and so I hear it just right. And that's precisely why we pray before we study God's Word. Did, oh, I, you know what? I know Michael volunteered to read. Uh, would anybody be willing to lead the prayer? If not, I, I'm happy to do it. I, I forgot to grab my list. Oh, was that a yes. was that a legitimate thing, or was that my list of people uh, who volunteered to help out? And I forgot to ask. I, I'll go ahead and start. Let's start. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare Your praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on a level path. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right, Michael. Luke chapter 11, 27 and 28. While he was saying this, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breath that nursed you. But he said, 
Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before each watch of the night that I may meditate on your promise. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. I am sincerely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. I rejoice in your word, like one who finds great treasure. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. My tongue tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Blessed Lord, you've caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. That by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This is my only comfort in my trouble, for your word has given me life. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. We got the Holy Spirit now, so we're good. You know, I was thinking as I was praying, by the way, you know, when we read God's word, and I think, I can't remember if I shared this in one of the notes from the previous classes, but, you know, Luther has this really great thing about when he is meditating on God's word, and, and sometimes he just meditates on one word. And because one word from the Holy Spirit is more powerful than 10,000 sermons from man. So during the prayer right now, something came up to me, my brain. I'm just, it's like, oh, I should mention this. Because as we have talked about chewing the cud before, you know, and tasting God's word, you know, we don't swallow M&Ms, we savor them, we eat them. Same with God's word. There's also another tendency in some prayers, you know, more, like more ancient prayers, that are, uh, like, so for instance, St. Patrick's breastplate, it's, a, it's an old ancient prayer, it's got eight syllables. And so, like, it has a rhythm to it. And <laughs> when I pray it, I, I pray it, I think, I think I probably pray it really fast because it's kind of mimicking my breathing. Yeah. Because Christ be with me, Christ be for me, da 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 There's like a cadence to it. And it's a little different than chewing your cud, though, because chewing the cud, you kind of go slowly when you read God's word. 
But I found myself just tonight, I'm like, I'm cruising through it. But it's, it's because I, it's like I'm breathing it. So it's another thing about God's word that it's, uh, and we've kind of mentioned this before with the Holy Spirit. God's word is the breath of God. And so sometimes I find myself reading quickly rather than slowly. And, I find my, and I'm like, oh, that's okay, though. It's okay to read fast because there is this rhythm to the Word of God that it's incorporated into who you are. Like it comes part of who you are and it's almost like breathing. All right, that's a tangent. But, all right, uh, I don't know if anybody read the Gospel of Mark. Uh, there is a bookmark over there with a little reading plan. No, no, no problem. I'm, I'm not going to ask you tonight, but I will from now on just sort of say, hey, did anybody read Scripture this last week? Did anything stick out? Was there anything that you needed to chew on? <laughs> like, um, like the cud? Chew. By the way, that's a, you know, that's a cow reference. Just want to make, for anybody who doesn't know their rudimentary uh, animals. Okay. Review. Week one, we talked about feasting. Reading God's word is a feast. God speaks his word through the mouth of Jesus, which seems obvious. But when we have a tendency to understand God's word as a, a book and not as a speech, uh, that's important to make that note. And then God's word is destined for our bodies and a holy life. So again, God's word doesn't live in the brain, it lives in your life. And then last week, God's word is, is a conversation between lovers so God, God's word recreates our ears. We already mentioned that. God's word is the means the Holy Spirit creates faith. So again, like that time I, I told that story about that boy, you hear God? I'm like, oh yeah, I hear him every Sunday. What does he sound like? Well, he sounds kind of like me. Is that the Holy Spirit is freighted in the words. Um, and then, of course, God's word doesn't deliver something about Jesus, but actually delivers Jesus. And we practice a couple uh, things in reading God's Word, chewing the cud, I already mentioned, and then finding Christ and you in the Scripture, in the story. And we'll do some more of that tonight. Okay, great. All right, so the first thing is, is that, is God's Word saved? Now, this seems kind of obvious. Of course God's Word saves. I mean, what's the big deal, right? But um, one of the things is that we have to understand, and this goes along with the breath, is that God's word doesn't just save, it didn't, he didn't save you in the past as if it's stuck in the past, but he saved you then, he's saving you now, and he will save you. And it's just like the feasting analogy or the breathing analogy. You know, you could say, oh man, I ate breakfast this morning, I don't need to eat supper. No, you, you need the constant uh, nutrition, you need the constant eating, the constant growing. So, one of the things that we need to understand is that our conversion is a daily conversion. And a big thing that Martin Luther made note of is daily repentance. Right? So, every day we get up in the morning, we make the sign of the cross, remembering our baptism. And so that is that daily dying and rising again. Because, you know, if you get stuck in the past 
and you leave your salvation in the past, then you know, that's going to affect how you're doing right now. But if you see your every day, so this goes to confirmation. Gideon, it was just confirmed uh, a few months ago. But he has to confirm his faith today and tomorrow and the next day. So even though we might have received confirmation at some time, every day we're confirming our faith. Every day we are waking up and making the sign of the cross. Every day Jesus is saving us. And how that works out is that, you know, salvation is based on what Jesus did, you know, a long time ago. Right? He died, he rose again. Okay. But that salvation has to be delivered to you. It can't be stuck in the past. Right? So that, that salvation that he won for us must be delivered to us. And that is um, through a word spoken, speaking, and will be spoken, or will speak. And we see that in Romans chapter 1. So if you guys have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1, 16 through 17. Just a couple of verses. And I'm sure you know, a, lot of, a lot of us have heard this before. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So one of the things is that we have to understand like power and how, how is God's power manifested in these verses. And it, it's, it's the salvation. But again, that power is not just stuck in the past, but that power is then displayed and exercised in the present through the gospel. So the gospel is not telling someone about something, but actually delivering something. And, you know, we should maybe think about that for a little while, right? Because if the gospel is just talking about what happened, then that's a very inspiring history lesson. But by virtue of, of that word about, they get stuck in the past. So the gospel brings what happened, what Jesus did, and brings it to the present and delivers it to us through our ears, into our hearts, and then empowering our lives. So that's, that's really important for all of us to understand that when God saves... His word, we need to understand that it's, it's an everyday thing, and this is our lifeline, and that he's saving us all together. Now, this other aspect, too, is at the, in verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what Jesus did is always tied to faith. The gospel is the, like, I think I wrote in here, the divine means, and that, that's John Kleinig's, I think, language. The means, but faith is the reception of it. But again, it's like breathing. If I stop breathing, what happens? I die. So there is a constant reception of the gospel that faith is always open to. 
Jesus' word. And so I think I have a little chart down here. Well, it's not, I don't know if it's a chart. But cross, resurrection, ascension, and a little arrow, and then baptism, a little arrow, word, a little arrow, discipleship. If you want to think about it in terms of kind of a linear way, I don't think very linear, so hopefully that works for people. I think in circles. So, um, the cross, resurrection, ascension is delivered to you in baptism. Now again, baptism is a wordy water. Anybody who's been around me long enough, you'll hear that phrase, a wordy water. Baptism's wordy water. Um, but then, of course, we rise from our baptisms and we feast on God's word, which then empowers us in a life of discipleship, a life of following Jesus. And that is a constant. Uh, so the cross is like a fountainhead. Blows up. Okay, great. So this notion of being saved currently being, you know, being saved, I'm sorry, were saved, was saved, being saved, and will be saved is part of God's word. This is what's happening when we listen to God's word. Okay, then that informs our life. So John 5, 24, I promise we won't, re- we won't be turning the Bible a, a ton of times, but um, these are some foundational texts. John 5, 24, Jesus is speaking, obviously. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, if you pay attention to the tenses of those verbs, so Jesus isn't saying you will pass from death to life, but you, but has passed. From death to life. That's past tense. Okay? That is one of the most interesting things about our Christian faith is that we've died. We're, we've died already. And we actually are resurrected. Through faith in his word, we have eternal life, which means we have eternal life right now. We're actually in eternal life. Life before as well as after death. And this is the, this is the challenge, I think, for a lot of people is to believe that you actually have life now. Because a lot of people, I mean, especially, you know, if, if you're, you know, you take a look in the world right now and the chaos and, and war and poverty and hunger and you're like, you know, it's hard to talk about life after death when you don't know if you have life before death. But through Jesus' word, that then helps us kind of start beginning to understand what's actually happening, the reality of things. Because... There's a lot of dead people walking around. And that's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, I I think uh, John Kleinig might use the phrase, the living dead. I prefer the walking dead. Because some of us have watched that TV show. I don't know if it's still on. I haven't. haven't. James, is it still on? Is the walking dead still on? We stopped after season two or three, right? It all went downhill after that. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, but, you know, that's actually kind of an interesting little... It's a zombie show for those who might not know what The Walking Dead is. It's a, okay, anyway, never mind. Okay, 
Walking dead. What does that mean? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We were spiritually dead. Necros. But of course, we're live. I mean, we're alive. You know, we go to our jobs. We, uh, you know, we have a house or we, you know, whatever. We drive around. But Ephesians 2, 1 is Paul is talking about how you once were part of the walking dead. But now things are different. Michael. Um, and it, it says that uh, they, that uh, truly I tell you anyone who hears my word and believes in sin has eternal life, it does not come under judgment, but is cast into the life. And also, it, so it's not just past, but it's also past. It's also past. It's not. Oh yeah, right. Absolutely. It's yeah. It's, it, it has been, like, has been transferred. That's right. So you can't, okay, so when you're dead, right, you can't do anything. So this goes back then to what we talked about last week. So when Jesus' word is spoken, he recreates your ears, which is part of, like, the resurrection aspect of our life, so that you can receive that word and be resurrected. So what, what Michael's talking about is that... Um, it's like you're dead in the grave, and we'll actually bring this up later in our lives as we think about the scripture stories, but like the um, resurrection stories of Jesus like raising Jairus' daughter, the widow's sons at Nain, or Lazarus. It's Jesus is, he's, he's resurrecting them. So the person who's resurrected is passive. And and Jesus is the active one. Which, of course, helps us in terms of our certainty of faith, right? The trust. What do we trust in our salvation? Well, we don't, we don't trust ourselves. We trust the fact, the guy who rose us from the dead. So, yeah, good, thanks, Michael. That was very helpful. Um, okay, but so Ephesians chapter 1, 2... I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, the walking dead... We have to be resurrected. And John chapter 3, I think we've already talked about that enough, but that is where Jesus talks about being begotten from above by the Spirit. And Nicodemus here is born again. Jesus is talking about the Father's life. And Nicodemus is only hearing about how a Jew can be born from a mother again. And so we got to think about, which goes along with John chapter 5, verse 24. Believe the word, let me just read it. Hears my word and believes him who sent me. That's the Father. Creator of the universe. Very important. Um, So we're dead. Baptism resurrects us. The water and the spirit. John chapter 3. Or more explicitly in Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, which you guys can read later, just want to stay on time, is, ah, we should probably turn it. Let's turn to Romans chapter 6, because this also then goes to how death is past tense in our lives, which then radically changes how we understand, quote-unquote, earthly death. Uh, So Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Which, I, first of all, I love that phrase. I mean, I love the question. It's like, hello. You know, Paul is like making a reference to this is, 
He's reminding people of something they have already learned. But for whatever reason, they need to be reminded of it. Okay, and then he's going to reteach them. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So death is past tense. We've already been united. But the culmination of the resurrection, of course, happens after our our earthly death. So death is behind us, spiritually speaking, and we are like the resurrection stories in the Gospels. Because the officials, uh, officials, I put the son, but I think it's his servant. Typo, sorry. Or maybe it is his son. I actually didn't look it up. John chapter 4, there's a resurrection story. Um, Jairus' daughter. They all were resurrected, but what happened to them? What did they do still? They all died again, right? Okay, so you have been resurrected, but guess what's going to happen? You're still going to die. But that death now is the culmination of something, like the beginning of the end, in a sense, or the end of the beginning. Michael. Uh, it, it's remarkable that when he says that just as Christ was raised from the dead, he's not talking about, the, the, the author of Romans isn't talking about just being raised from the state of death. Right. The, the word it actually means those who are dead. Right. He's, he's being raised up from those, those, who, those people who have died. That's right. So it's like this emphatic reality. Again, so, okay, let's, let's just ask yourself. If you know you've died already, Max, do you have any fear of death? No. No, right, because death no longer has a hold on you, right? So then this goes back then to what does eternal life mean for us? And eternal life, we, I think most of us have been thinking about eternal life begins after we die. But Jesus has already shown that it already begins now. So eternal life is not so much time, because I always, I always talk about, like, how many people, uh, anybody have a backache right now? Okay, Michael, would you love eternal life for the backache? Probably. <laughs> no, nobody wants a backache for eternal life. Nobody wants, or like a paper cut. Who likes a paper cut for the rest, you know, for eternity? Nobody wants that. So it's not just time. It's, it's also the, the, uh, the abundance of life. So eternal life is the best forever. That's what eternal life means. The best life forever. And that's important for us because, you know, the best life is not having a backache. The best life is not being um, unsure of life. You know, the the best life is not being unloved or being alone, right? I mean, these are the things that we have to understand. So eternal life is the best forever. And what's interesting, too, and John Kleinig, I think, uses the word superhuman life. He doesn't offer superhuman life. That's really important for us because what Jesus offers us is the abundant life, but it's precisely a human life, a human life fully alive. And that is something that none of us have ever actually experienced. None of us have actually experienced being fully alive. 
That's right. Quantity and quality is a simple way to say it. I don't like using that word. I don't know. I always feel like, I don't know, it's too abstract. But I, I use more words. And we should be more efficient with our words. So it's quality and quantity. But John's, John's right. So the, but the thing is, though, is that that's the life that Jesus offers us. The best quality life and the best quantity life. And this is something, too, where we have to understand about Jesus. Jesus is fully human, fully God. So what is a person fully alive, but none other than Jesus' life? And so that's why we read the Gospels. We stick close to God's word. It's because that life that Jesus wants to give us is his own life. The life that, uh, you know, okay, so now what does that mean? What is Jesus' life? Well, a lot of people will like instantly think about like, what well, does that mean? I can heal people, walk on water. Maybe. How about just like being confident, walking around, knowing you're loved by God? Okay, let's 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 work on that first. We think about because I know a lot of people, a lot of men who, frankly, are, you know, unsure of themselves. Andrew. Yeah. Oh, hang on, next. Confidence thing is a good point. It's like. If you walk around with, I'm great, then you're boastful, but if you walk around with, I, I stink, I'm terrible, then you're not confident in your, in your... Both of those are bad options, aren't they? So, so how do you, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, so I mean, this is where the thing, where we talk about Jesus' divine life in the present, it's not being a rock star, right? First of all, Jesus didn't like being a rock star. He kept trying to go out into the country and pray by himself with his father, right? He escaped when they knew they were, going to, he, they were going to try to make him king. So, again, again, I, I work with a lot of children, but I think a lot of us adults think like children also still, and they're like, oh, that'd be awesome. I could just heal people, and that reveals your heart right now, and it's not good. That's not what you want to think about when the first thing you think about is how great you'll be in man's eyes. Max, what were you going to say? Um, you said something about, well, I was just thinking... Just knowing that you're not alone and you have this resurrection life. Yeah. It's a life to live. The life that I was meant to live. That's right. Yeah, but I mean the whole if I don't know my father's right here to tell me how to live that life. That's right. I'm gonna explain that life. That's right. I don't have the instructions from any person to give Well and the other thing too is just like so Max is talking about like how you need that constant that constant love from the Heavenly Father, that constant guidance by the Heavenly Father. Think about this in terms of the Old Testament. There's a lot of stories like this in the Old Testament. Exodus 14 is the crossing of the Red Sea. We, we, we remember that part of the story. But what happened just before that? What's that? They were complaining. Okay. What happened just before that, though? Yeah, they were just let out of Egypt, right? So we need a constant reminder that we're loved, that we're saved. God is going to take care of us because if we read the Old Testament at all and say, I'm like that too, versus I'm better than them. Um, literally, the Israelites are saved. The, the, the most powerful nation in the world at that time, you know, was defeated by Yahweh. They basically take all the gold from Egypt. I mean, they, they, they walk out of there with this huge booty, right? 
Um, and then they, you know, they, they come up to the Red Sea and they're like, oh, we're going to die. Did you bring us out of here to kill us? And you're like, what? What are you talking about? Did you just not pay attention? How about like, hey, God, you saved us before. You can save us again. You, you see it probably all the time when you see good Christian people on their deathbed who are afraid to die. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I don't know, if, I don't know that I'm not going to be afraid to die. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay, so, th but see, that's, that's, a that's, a, that's a normal response. Because it's unknown, right? And I don't know about you, but I have a, pro I have a tendency to uh, get a little bit anxious when I don't have control over things. It's like that. Um, so death, of course, is the ultimate time where you're like, you, you're not in control. You can't do anything about it. So there's anxiety. And the, the simplest answer for people who are afraid, or maybe you're learning from people who might have been afraid, is it takes practice. It, it, it like literally takes practice to overcome those fears. It takes discipline. Like what? Prayers? Okay, so hang on. So this is really good. So Paul, actually, this is one of the most interesting things is that um, some of the old timers, when I say old timers, I mean like, you know, ancient people, they would say, well, okay, what's the children's prayer before you go to bed? That seems a little bit morbid. Now we lay you down to sleep. I pray the soul to keep, but soul to keep. That is a simple. That is a simple way of practicing. I don't pray that with my kids, because it freaks them out. It, it freaked them out. I, and plus, you know, Metallica. Yes, exactly. You know, anybody Metallica? It's a it's a really rock group in in the middle of yeah. Okay. All right. Anyways. Uh, yeah, so, so, okay, so prayer helps you prepare for that. Prayer. And, it, and it's really blunt prayer, but also being, being honest with it, too, is that um, it's not time to be like, you know, man up and be like, uh, I, I'm not afraid of this. No, it's actually, it's important to voice that fear because you have everybody else around you, the community, which Matt's already talked about, to help and support you. But... Yeah, but it just takes practice. Those are the two simplest things, prayer and, and the consolation of the brethren. It's a phrase that talks about the mutual consolation, that your community actually supports you while you're going through this. And then the other thing is for everyone to know that if you have this fear on your deathbed, that, has, that doesn't say anything about your salvation. Michael's already, we already talked about this. Who saves you? Jesus saves you. Not whether you're afraid or not afraid. That doesn't save you. So, just think about all the times in the Bible where people are freaking out and they call upon the Lord and the Lord comes out and, you know, and saves the day. He'll do that with you. And that's why these resurrection stories are, are so important because it gives us a little insight into our own lives. Because um, Jesus' resurrection is unique. I mean, that's our destiny. These four examples that I have written down, those are just examples of our own resurrections. 
But there will be a time where we, you know, are taken up into heaven. We, are, we ascend into heaven like Jesus. Okay. Perfect. All right, so God's words nourishes. I, I have a very short little section on this. Um, the, um, I just, I just, I just, I pull out one little thing that I thought was really interesting from that chapter, and that is the use of the word sound, like sound doctrine. The Greek is actually uh, the word for healthy. So sound doctrine is healthy. And, and so in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus, Paul really talks to, to these pastors, Pastor Timothy and Pastor Titus, about being healthy as a pastor, which of course is instructive for the rest of us, is that um, being healthier and eating healthy go together. So if you're going to teach sound doctrine, you have to eat sound doctrine. If you're going to teach the God, uh, God's word soundly, you have to receive God's word healthily. And um, we see this again in the Old Testament. There's a variety of things. I just include the one from Deuteronomy chapter 8 because that's quoted by Jesus in the temptations where... Um, uh, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He does not live by bread alone, but, every, yeah. And that's, again, for a lot of us, we think in a temporal way. And that's what the devil tries to do for Jesus. Hey, turn these, turn these stones into bread. Because the devil is, is thinking that Jesus is going to live life down here. But Jesus is living life up here in eternal life. And he understands that eternal life is only fed by God's word, not about, by, by bread. And so as we have died and risen again and are now living eternal life, the thing that matters the most in terms of nourishing us is God's word, but directly connected to God's word is sound teaching or sound doctrine. And what, what is doctrine is a word I don't use a lot. It's kind of a technical word. So what does doctrine mean? That means teaching. teaching of the Bible. Now, uh, I don't think we'll have time to read 33 verses, John chapter 6, but I might give you, just whip wet your appetite a little bit, is John chapter 6, Jesus is in the, uh, out in the countryside, feeds the 5,000, and then they have a dispute about the bread that came from heaven. And of course, that Reminds us of Exodus and the manna that fell. Jesus now is telling them that the bread that falls from heaven is, is him. He is the bread that fell from heaven. And, and so what he, there's two levels of that. One is the word coming out of his mouth. Is that that's the life given, that's the bread from heaven. And then he goes on to talk about his flesh and blood. And how, but what, what, is, what he's, he's talking about there is healthy, nourishing yourself with healthy food. So, just to kind of put it simply, you are what you eat. Okay? If we, you know, if we eat a lot of vegetables, we'll be healthy. If we eat a lot of 
You know, Halloween's coming up, a lot of candy. We're going to be unhealthy. So when it applies to Jesus, when we feast on God's word and then feast on his body and blood, that is going to form, form us. That's going to make us into the divine life or the Christ-like people that we are meant to be. Okay, so that's John chapter 6. Read all that with those two caveats in there, and it will be life-changing, I think. All right, now, so th- th- this, this last section here, before we um, finish up, we're going to test our uh, Bible reading, is healing. So far, so hopefully we're building up to this notion of kind of rethinking what healing means. And what is healing? Uh, I, have, I have like three Bible verses there. Exodus 15, 26. God is the healer, the Rapha. And if we, okay, so Exodus 15, what has already happened? They've crossed the, the Ten Plagues. They've crossed the Red Sea. And Exodus 15 is a, like a song. Song of Miriam, they're dancing. It's a very joyous. And they call God the healer in this. But what did he just do? He just kicked butt against the Egyptian gods and then laid waste to Pharaoh's army. And they call him God the healer. You would think it'd be like God the victor or God the, the guy who kicks butt, you know, I mean, whatever. It's God the healer. Okay, that is, is because I use the word wholeness, made well. So when God is the healer, he's, he's, taking, he's taking you and making you fully who you're supposed to be. He's making you whole. Again, because of sin, none of us has really experienced that. So we, it's hard for us to imagine. It's not just a better version of me with a backache. Okay? It's not a better version of me being a little like more confident in my life. It's the whole nine yards. Okay, so healing, again, is not simply physical ailments because I know plenty of people who are healthy physically but are miserable people. They need a different kind of healing. And that's the healing that God's word does, bringing this wholeness to it. Now again, that, I mean, obviously Jesus heals people of diseases and he can make miracles and I'm not downplaying that. I'm saying that there's more to it. We don't want to shoot so low. We want to shoot high. So then in Proverbs 4, 20 through 23, and this, I think John Kleinig uses this in the book, is the marpe, and that is cure. So God's word heals. God's word heals, meaning like it's a cure for something. And it's a cure for our disease the disease that is fundamental to our existence. I mean, to our, to, our, to our existence now. It's not to our essence. So what's, what's our fundamental problem? Sin. Again, <laughs> it's not a backache. It's not a paper cut. It's sin. That's our problem. Okay. So now Hebrews... 412. And John Kleinig brought this up, I think, in the first chapter. By the way, I'm supposed to tell the whole title for the radio world. God's Word, A Guide to Holy Scriptures by J. 
John Kleinig. I was told by people who are listening that I need to tell the whole title. Okay. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. God's word is like a, like a scalpel. Ooh, performs surgery on us. Again, this is something, too, where we don't think about healing because we think Jesus is going to come around and say, be healed. We don't think about, like, open-heart surgery. But that's what Jesus does with his word, is that he comes and he cuts you open. Whoa. By the way, that's hard. That, that hurts. There's a surgery that happens, and he's cutting out the, 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 the sin. All right? So this is very important for us because this is precisely what Jesus does on the cross. I mean, this is, uh, so, okay, Jesus rises from the dead, and how do they know he's not a ghost? Yeah, he eats, and they touch him. But of course, John 21, where do they, where does Jesus want them to touch him? Yeah, in his wounds. So this is interesting, as Jesus uses the scalpel on us, and cuts out that sin, we might have a wound still. But that wound, though, becomes a testimony. Right? So Jesus' wounds now become the vehicle to which he can now tell, hey, I'm the guy who died and rose again. So this is important for us. As God heals us, he heals in a way that we might not think about. And so, of course, who uses the scalpel? Jesus uses the scalpel. He's the great physician. Matthew 9, Mark 2, and Luke 5 are the major uh, examples of this. And we read, we read one of those stories last week when Jesus raised the paralyzed man. But directly after that is when he goes to Matthew's house. So he goes and heals this man by forgiving his sins. And then he directly goes to Matthew's house. And of course, the word on the street is, this guy hangs out with sinners. But Jesus says, the healthy people don't need a physician. The sick people do. And so Jesus uses that scalpel, God's word, to perform surgery on us. And at the end of that surgery, we might have a scar. But that doesn't mean anything is wrong. It's just that now that scar tells a story about Jesus' healing. So healing is, we want to rethink healing. I'll tell you one last story about this. Uh, this is really, this has been a thing on my mind ever since I was in college. There was a guy, his name was Daniel, uh, over at Wheaton, I was over at Wheaton College. And he, his, his mother was dying of cancer. And he came from a, a faith tradition that told him he needed to pray harder and pray the right words. And then if he got enough people to pray hard and the right words, his mother would be cured of cancer. And his mother died. Now, I came into, the, his, I came into his life like months after this happened. And... You know, I wasn't Lutheran back then. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was just a dumb 20-year-old kid. And, but that stuck with me. That, that whole scenario stuck with me because I, I realized at that moment that, first of all, that, that advice was wrong. 
but it was wrong mainly because they misunderstood healing. They thought what she needed was a restored body. And of course, that would have been really nice for Daniel because he, he loved his mom and he didn't want her to go away. But where was her ultimate healing? It is in the resurrection. And why we have the pain of missing those who have died in the faith, we have that pain with us, there is a greater hope and that is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. And so this helps us with our understanding of healing, is that what we need, what we need to do is have our sins forgiven, because we need to have our relationship with God restored. Because without Him, we're not saved. We have no life, and we are not nourished. But with him, we're saved, have life, and are being nourished. And our healing happens. And this is precisely why we have a, we have a service after the late service. We have a, prayer, uh, we have a service of, of prayers for healing, consolation, and hope. It's after the 11 o'clock service every first Sunday of the month. And I would encourage anybody who needs any healing to come because we read, we listen to God's word, we spend time in silence and prayer. We have our sins forgiven and then we are blessed. And that service is based on this understanding of healing. This healing that it's, it's, we're making people whole. And part of wholeness, though, is healing a, a backache. Part of wholeness is healing paper cuts, uh, healing diseases. But even more fundamental to that is our sin disease that needs to be cut out. And Jesus needs to have a heart, have a heart transplant. We need to have a new heart. So... Yeah, so that, that's important for us to think about these things. Okay. I knew I shouldn't have gone on that tangent. Okay, we have one, just a couple minutes here. Turn into your Bibles, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. It's what Michael read earlier. 27 through 28. We're going we we're, we're, uh, we're to sing evening prayer. We, did, we started it last week. We only got halfway. I promise you we're doing the whole thing and we still will end at 8 o'clock. Okay, just, we're going to do this as one big group tonight. Okay, we're doing a case study of reading the Bible. Luke chapter 11, 27 through 28. We are, so we have, there are two, two aspects. Where is Christ in the text? Where are you? And then I have a prompt question. How does breastfeeding inform our understanding of God's word? It's in the Bible, guys, so just... Uh, but when we think about God's word, we need to think about breastfeeding, because that's what Jesus says. All right, I'm going to read it out loud. I'm going to spend a, like a, a minute or two in, in chewing the cud. Luke chapter 11, 27 and 28. And I'm not going to use the pronoun he, I'm going to use actually Jesus' name. 
As Jesus said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Okay, I'll read it one more time. But we want to find where Christ is in the text. And there's more than one place, by the way. Where are you in the text? Because Jesus speaks to you. And then how does breastfeeding help us understand God's word? Okay. By the way, last week, Brad Kigios, who's not here tonight, said, hey, I heard a wise guy tell me one time, we only hear words that are addressed to us. Just think about that. Is the Bible addressed to you? Yes. So this is why we need to hear it. Even some obscure verse about breastfeeding. Okay, I'm going to read it one more time. As Jesus said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. All right, we're going to do this as a big group. Where is Jesus in the text? He's talking. That's the easy one, right? Where else is he in the text, though? Yeah, it's his word. He is the word. That's right. Do you think he, was he nursed as a, as a baby? Probably. So that goes with what Paul just said. He also was fed the word of God. And we don't have time, but in Luke chapter 2, it says this. He grew in stature and wisdom, both among men and God. Which again, we, that's hard for us to fathom. He's perfect. He doesn't need to know anything. But yes, he does. He gets to learn things because he's fully human. Okay, where are you in the text? Would we all be in the one stage by the breasts? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, hopefully, right? Hopefully you're the one being nursed. Hopefully you are the one hearing God's word and keeping it. All right. Yeah, go ahead. Jesus is talking to the crowd about when a Well, not just that. It, it actually starts farther back even, yeah. And uh, so it says, while he's speaking. Mm-hmm. So is, is it trying to suggest that it, 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 he is affecting some of the, someone else's speech? Like he's causing some of the speech of others? Like, Are you talking about? Right, for, for instance, like, yeah. Jesus' words affects things, right? Yep. Jesus, you know, what is it that, it took, and it came about while he was saying it. Yeah, right, okay, great. So, so Michael, so, okay, so, uh, we could talk more specifics about what the previous things he was saying, but this woman's reaction is interesting because she doesn't say, oh, man, you're a really smart guy. Wow, that's great. But blessed is the one who bore you. Because she's assuming something about Jesus and his mother's relationship that he was learned that something from his mother. More than she's almost putting Mary higher than Jesus. 
Okay, but hang on. See, this is where this is where we get it gets a little bit. I'm glad you brought this up. So again, we're only studying two verses, and we're already we're like this is the thing. This is uh, this is why I love the Bible. We spent a long time on two verses, and I didn't leave enough time, so I apologize. But okay, one of the things is, is that this woman is making a reference to to Mary. Well, she doesn't know. She probably doesn't know who she is, but just this mother, right? Yeah. And, 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 and so it's not that she's saying Mary is above Jesus, but that Jesus is doing something amazing, setting people free from, their, from uh, oppression, spiritual oppression. And he must have been raised in a really great home. So it's not so much putting a, uh, his parents above him, but acknowledging that he must have learned something from somewhere. Okay. Which is, that's not, I mean, that's true. I mean, that's actually true. But Jesus then comes back to it and says, no, hang on. That, that, yeah, that's right. My parents are great. I love my parents. They're awesome. However, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So if you think me growing up in a faithful home is great, holy smokes, you got something in store for you when you hear God's word and keep it. So this is the thing that he's making this connection between the nurturing of breastfeeding, the, the, you know, the life-giving aspect of breastfeeding, and God's word. Now, this is a very complicated web search at St. John. Reformation art that has breasts on God's word. It just didn't work well. Um, but I, and I, didn't, I didn't call, I have a Wheaton College professor who I put a call into and he never called me back. So I'll probably maybe get it next week. But there's uh, uh, Albert Dewar, no, um, Lucas Chronic. But there's a lot of like Reformation time, not just Reformation, but Renaissance paintings that have, they have a woman with child breastfeeding. But what, what the Lutherans did was kind of cool is they actually had God's word and they put a they put a breast on it. It's kind of graphic, I understand, <laughs> but it's, it's it's kind of odd. But it's very Lutheran. It's based on these verses that our life-giving, nurturing sustenance is from God's Word, and just like a baby can't live without it, so we can also not live without it. And yeah, there's a lot more to this, but we are going to pray evening prayer. You did it last week. Andrew, you want to head on down? We are going to, if you guys want to, we're actually going to head down to the chapel, which is in the back of the church. Turn to page 243. I think we're going to skip the hymn tonight, though, just because we're running out of time. 